it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hello, welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. The great Newt Gingrich is in studio. The former Speaker of the House has a brand new book out called March to the Majority, The Real Story of the Republican Revolution. Bottom of the arrow, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Make sense of what's happening at our border. We'll try and also get some muscle into our China policy. We certainly would help. New, great to see you, Mr. Speaker. Oh, it's great to be back with you, and it's always fun. And I have to tell you, I'm so impressed with the work you're doing on history oh, and how much you're reintroducing Americans to their own country. Well, yeah, I mean, that's fundamentally, that's your major path. You like politics, but you love history. I correct? really do, and you have done an amazing job. Well, thanks. I mean, <clears throat> uh, I've, the new book I have coming out is, uh, is Teddy and Booker T. And we're going to Tuskegee University. And knowing that this one man started it in a broken down house while he spoke, uh, there was rain coming through the roof and he had to have one of his students hold an umbrella. And next thing you know, it's a sprawling university with an institution that has educated tens of uh, millions of uh, of students around the country. I mean, to me, that's a legacy. And And then I'm watching Tim Scott having the same debate on The View to a degree that they were having in 1880 and 1890 and 1915. No, we right. still haven't gotten through it. Well, and what makes it poignant is that this August is the 60th anniversary of Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. I have a dream speech where he says what matters is the content of your character, yeah. not the color of your skin, which, of course, was Booker T. Washington's whole point, that people could grow, people could do better, uh, that, in fact, America was a country that had opportunity, the opposite of the left-wing views that came to dominate so much of, of the black community. I know you were a military family, so you moved a lot. Right. But when you, could you describe what Georgia was like uh, when you got there? What, what was like? What was like in society in Georgia and race relations well, when you got when there? Well, when I got there, because I'm, I'm old enough, I got there when it was still segregated. That's what I mean. And, and it was, it was and, and later when I went to Tulane and, and was in New Orleans, the memory of the segregation was like a decade old. And, and so literally you'd have white-only uh, water fountains, white-only bathrooms. Um, uh, African-Americans couldn't sit at a lunch counter. I mean, it's important to remember, and, and I heard uh, Tim Scott last night beautifully describe that his grandfather, who'd been born in 1921, would get off the pavement and keep his eyes looking down if a white person went by but that his grandfather believed in America. And he thought if he worked hard, his son would do better. And if his son worked hard, his son would do better. And now, of course, the grandson is running for president as a United States senator. And I think that's why Tim represents an optimistic vision of America. And and, and frankly, for the life of me, I've never understood how Barack Obama and Michelle Obama could be elected to the White House twice and yet have a sense of resentment that somehow uh, they they were limited in their future by by race, uh, and it just made no sense at all. And I think I think in many ways Obama put us back uh, a generation in his attitudes. You know, it's a different. The Senator Obama seemed much more patriotic than President Obama. He yeah. seemed much more positive and optimistic. You remember that speech after Reverend Wright 
and he came out and said that was a different generation. We've gone past that now. And I thought, kind of ad libs a lot of it, no, too. No, his, his, and I his, thought, wow, man, this guy's different. Yeah, his Philadelphia speech in response to Wright was brilliant. But something happened. I don't know whether – you know, I think part of the problem now is that in the Democratic Party, the people who get together at the cocktail parties and at the fundraisers all reinforce each other in kind of a bitter, hostile-to-America viewpoint. And it gradually just seeps in as a kind of acid. Right. I just never felt more aware. Everyone's always talking about race and and uh, ethnicity and gender. And now we know what's going on with gender. Uh, I, I get I get excited this time of year because I even on both sides. I remember when when the Barack Obama Hillary Clinton fight was going. I loved it. I loved every second of it. It was just to see the tactics and to see if this young senator was going to beat the established candidate and the Clinton legacy. How would it do with Bill? And now I'm watching on the Republican side. I don't remember a more talented group. Everyone's got some talent. I mean, you got the former president. We've never seen this before in my lifetime. Grover Cleveland, I guess. William Jennings Bryant was somebody who ran a couple of times in a row. But now we have Senator Tim Scott, great story. Governor Nikki Haley's got the governor background, has got the international experience. Then on you, then you turn around and have Governor DeSantis, the most successful governor in the country, who's done more for Florida than anybody else. Unbelievable intellect and background. And then you have a former president who got 72 million votes last time. Governor Christie is a talented, great prosecutor. Let's see if he can resonate. And then you have Asa Hutchinson, who's got a huge, great resume. So this is going to some. You have some talent on that stage, don't you think? Well, I think there's enormous talent, the great personal human stories, uh, and you know, frankly, I, I think it's good for America. I mean, when you have a Tim Scott out there explaining and taking on the left wing's racist views, uh, the country's going to re- resonate with Tim. I mean, I, I happened to see him last night here at Fox. And he's doing a great job. He's, he is as totally positive as anyone I know. And I think it's deep. It's inside him. It's based in part on his Christian beliefs. Um, but at the same time, Nikki Haley, first generation, parents came from India. She was she ran a small business. She became governor. She And, and she was a very tough reform governor. Then she got to be U.N. ambassador. Great story. And, and, and I think what in Iowa and in New Hampshire, these folks are going to really – that's a Republican Party that's diverse, inclusive, idea-oriented, uh, and frankly smart. I mean, compare that with Kamala Harris. Yeah, who has the opportunity of a lifetime. I mean, if she was a productive vice president like we're used to with Dick Cheney and you would always want – Al Gore was productive. Nobody thought right. he couldn't handle anything. Nobody thought that Mike Pence couldn't deliver and provide – all the background about running government that Donald Trump didn't know because he was doing something else his whole career, and she has this opportunity, doesn't do it. Have you ever heard of a vice president being asked to do something like the border and just not doing it? Well, I I think that they have a real challenge in the Democratic Party because Kamala Harris is at least two levels above her competence, uh, and maybe three. I'm not sure she was a, she was an attorney general for yeah. California, U.S. senator, and then vice president. And it's, it's pretty clear that she just can't do the job. Uh, <clears throat> and what's what's weird is at that level, you can usually prop somebody up with really good staff. Right. And it doesn't seem to work. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like there's anything you can do to get her to be effective. Right. And she's had this opportunity to give you an example, the debt ceiling. I mean, that would have been a perfect time if you're if you're Joe Biden or you're concerned about the ticket to say we're going to put her at the head. 
She's going to be there with her sleeves rolled up. Joe has got to finish up the G7 and go to go to his two other stops, Australia and Papua New Guinea. And we're going to put the vice president there. And then you have a few Democrats come out and say, wow, she's amazing. She got into the details of it. She could have gotten credit. Instead, she was just marching around the country. As far as I know, she wasn't even in Washington during it. No, it's, it, it, it's, it's fascinating to me. And I think that um, when, when you watch it, um, it's almost embarrassing, frankly. Uh, she gave, by the way, she did give a very good speech at West Point. I, I, I read the you speech. Did. And I, you know, that, that's one of the few places I've seen where she was well staffed. She delivered it well. You know, and if she could be disciplined to do that, she might recover. But I think she's now so deeply embedded. Uh, and, and I thought it was fascinating that Nikki Haley said uh, yesterday that she's not running against Joe Biden. She's running against Kamala Harris because if Biden were to get reelected, Harris would be president. Uh, that's an interesting tact, right? I, I think I mean, it shook she, up the White House I, pretty badly. And I did. I, I, I know the press secretary had no answer. Um, so Governor Sununu yesterday, you know the family. Yes. Uh, Chris Sununu is very successful, two-term governor, going for three. He gets elected every two years. Here's what he said. Uh, he said that Donald Trump has no chance of winning cut eight. The math has shown Donald Trump has no well, chance that's, look, that's of winning in November of 24. He wouldn't even win Georgia. If you're a Republican that can't win Georgia of November 24, you have no shot. And he's proven that. So and not only has he proven it, but the candidates he gets behind in a good conservative state like Georgia lose the race. His messaging doesn't translate. It does well with a hardcore 30, 35 percent base, but he loses everybody beyond there. And no one is undecided about the former president. So he's he, he's a positive guy, but he is down on President Trump. Uh, does he have a point in your view? Well, he has a point unless Trump can disprove it. I mean, in, in all the recent polls, Trump's ahead of Biden. In fact, B- Trump's ahead of Biden by more than DeSantis. So <clears throat> I think it all depends. Uh, are there people who are tired of Trump's behavior? Yes. Do those people, when they say, okay, I, I didn't particularly like th- his tweets, but it all worked. And I really dislike Biden and think it's not working. I mean, Biden is down at like, 25 or 28 percent on whether or not his policies work now. So I'm not prepared. I I frankly think Trump probably would win the general election. But what's interesting to me is none of the people who are anti-Trump, we'll see if Chris Christie's different. None of them actually take Trump head on about policy. I mean, he has he's essentially won the policy fight inside the Republican Party. And so they've got to find some angle of attack. Uh, And I think they're all a little afraid because they know that the people who are for Trump, which is in the latest poll, 53 percent of the Republicans against the entire field, um, they really like Trump. And so the, here you are. If you attack him too much, do you then lose the general election because mm-hmm. none of the Trump voters will, will vote for you? And the question is, too, are you going to get Michigan back? Are you going to get Wisconsin back? Are you going to get Georgia back? Are you going right. to get Arizona back? What has changed in that interim? And is he, is that a coachable thing that you could do? With the president, with the former president, to try to, to try to persuade Arizona to go back to your way, because without these states, you you don't win. Pennsylvania is going to be a, a tough road. Yeah, I think. But I think part of the question is, can can Trump, who's who's very different. Uh, somebody pointed out the other day, I thought it was a very useful insight, that Trump is an entertainer. Uh, he's, he's, he's totally different from any politician you've ever seen except maybe Ronald Reagan because he spent 13 years with a top-rated show called The Apprentice. Yeah. So he got up every day and thought, because NBC was paying him a lot of money, 
And he got up every day and thought, what is it I need to do to keep the audience? Because he'd figured out the television is pretty ruthless. You know, if you have an audience, you get paid. If you don't have an audience, you don't get paid. And NBC liked him enough. They offered him a pretty good bit of money to not run for president because they wanted to keep the show. Yeah. So this guy, he takes that same talent and he's funny. I mean, if you watch him, he's an entertainer. It's, I, I used to tell him he's a vaudevillian. This is vaudeville. He, right. he loves doing these big, big events because he gets out there on stage and he's exactly like an old-time vaudeville actor. And he goes off on a riff and, you know, and people start get rocking and rolling with him. Uh, <clears throat> and I think that uh, people don't understand. If, if he's, My guess is he's probably going to be the nominee by March. Because if they can't beat him in Iowa, New Hampshire. New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina, it's over. True. And, and you're going to lose the, the herd will thin by after Iowa, correct? Right. And then you'll thin a big time after New Hampshire. And then and we'll see what happens because, yeah. because they set up winner take all in a lot of these things. That's right. I want to go back to the history of your march to majority right after this. We'll take a short time out. Uh, Newsbook just came out. It's rocketing up uh, Amazon charts. March to the majority. It's really how. Uh, new became speaker and how the country changed with the new, with um, uh, with the new deal, uh, not with your new deal, with your contract with America. That's true. Back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers here at first on the Brian Kilmeade show from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. We're back. Newt Gingrich is here. His book is now out. Uh, it's really his story, his professional story. March to the Majority, the real story of the Republican Revolution. Newt, how did you go from professor, backbencher, to architect of the contract with America to becoming speaker and implementing it? That's what this is about. Yeah, and it's really a, it's really a playbook for anybody who wants to learn how to do it. It's, it's not just a history book about the past, but you can take step by step what we learned I always remind people I ran twice and lost. I won the third time. Uh, so cheerful persistence is a key part of my life. And then in 1978, after I won, I said to the Republican leadership, we've been in the minority 24 years. Don't we need a plan to become a majority? And they said, that's a terrific idea. Let's create a committee. You're in charge before I was even sworn in. Wow. Uh, but we lost in 80, 82, 84, 86, 88, 90, and 92. And it wasn't that we were doping around. I mean, we were working every two years. It was a it was a bigger mountain than I thought it was, and we finally learned so many lessons that are in March the majority, and in '94 it all came together. But I always remind people we stood on Reagan's shoulders. Um, Reagan, for example, proposed welfare reform running for governor in 1965. We passed it in 1996, <laughs> 31 years. Um, <clears throat> Reagan did the first Capital Steps event, which I helped organize in 1980. And brought every House and Senate candidate together. They had Reagan described it as a contract and five items. Uh, we picked up so many House seat, Senate seats that year. We won control when nobody thought we would. So Reagan entered office with a Republican Senate. We gained 29 seats in the House. And that made it possible to pass the Reagan program. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, David Broder wrote a column saying what a courageous step it was. The Republican presidential candidates normally ran away from their party. 
Reagan went over and embraced it and said, look, if I'm going to govern, I need you guys. And you should think about what the country was at then. We were in double right. digits, interest rates, uh, the malaise. The, there was a sense that we're, our best days were behind us. Right. And then in comes this optimistic guy who people thought was too radical to get elected in 76. But in 80, he seemed to work. Well, he, he said one time he kept saying the same things, but the country came around. And he had this great line about Carter. He said, you know, <clears throat> if, if your brother-in-law loses his job, it's a recession. If you lose your job, it's a depression. If Jimmy Carter loses his job, it's a recovery. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, but see, this happened. You pointed out, too, with Speaker McCarthy. People said it wasn't enough. He didn't get enough. And you said he got enough because you remember the blueprint. The blueprint is you got to do things incrementally. You just didn't rattle off three balanced budgets. You built to that. That's right. I, I always tell people we started with one step. And if you look at the uh, debt ceiling deal as one step, it's a good step. If you think it's the final step, it's a bad step. But it took us three years to get to a balanced budget. We then did it for four straight years, the only time in your lifetime. We got welfare reform in our second year, not our first year. Uh, and <clears throat> we also closed the government twice. We, 26 days was one time and about six days the other time. And all the news media said, oh, this is terrible. The Republicans are going to suffer. We became the first reelected majority since 1928, because people thought we were serious, we were determined, and we were committed. And I think you're going to see that, that Speaker McCarthy really means to keep this deal. And the Senate right. Republicans, many of them, are about to have a real challenge because they want to spend a lot more money, and I don't think he's going to do it. So interesting. George H.W. Bush, you talk about Tip O'Neill, Richard Nixon, and the Ronald Reagan story. But what about you working with Bill Clinton? Did you guys understand? Why did you guys understand that compromise would equal accomplishment? Well, we don't seem to understand that today. He, he was very different. I mean, Clinton had been governor of a very conservative state. Uh, he won in 78 as the youngest governor in the country. He lost in 80, and it just shook his life. He lost the mansion, the car, the airplane. No longer governor. Uh, you know, he's wandering around. And he said this to me one time. He wandered around for a year just moping. And finally some guy at a, at a rural small store said to him, son, you've gone around and apologized enough. Just run for governor. You'll win. It'll be fine. So he finally wins again in 82 and again gets reelected. He had dealt with a very conservative Arkansas right. legislature. Wow. And that's all in the book. And it's good to get a perspective so you don't overreact to the news. Go deeper on the issues, especially the recent history. And you can do that with Newt's book, March to the Majority. Newt, great to get this quality Great to time. see you. Absolutely. It's great to see you in studio. Alan West next. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. And no matter what faith you practice, uh, it is in all of our faith that we are supposed to care for those who are in need. Not only is it on the Statue of Liberty, but it is on our text that we look and read and study from. And just as a Christian, Scripture reminds us, love thy neighbor as thyself. And welcome the stranger among us. All right. That is Mayor Adams using the Bible to somehow get some of the 50,000 illegal immigrants into people's homes. I'm not kidding. 
paying people to take in illegals into their homes they know nothing about that suck across the border that need refugees. Again, you might have the next Einstein or you might have the next bin Laden. But come one, come all, because that's in the Bible. Is that going to work? Lieutenant Colonel Alan West joins us now. He's in the eye of the storm in a border state called Texas. Colonel, welcome back. Good to be with you, Brian. So how much money do I have to pay you to take it in a legal immigrant family? Uh, it's not happening. I don't care how much you pay me because the the operative word is illegal. And I think that's what uh, the mayor needs to understand. Look, I love it when the progressive socialist left always tries to use the Bible uh, and scripture when it works toward what they think is the benefit of their ideological agenda. But yet they'll be the first ones to say that, you know, Christians need to not be involved in government or elections and uh, their, their, their faith is, is is a violation of the separation of church and state, but yet he can stand up there and start quoting scripture. So this is just another one of those silly ploys. And I, I do look out for my neighbors, the people that live to the left or right of me in my in my house there in uh, Garland, Texas. But people that are coming across this uh, border illegally, they're not my neighbors. True. Uh, so we had about 6 million that have crossed in, 50,000 plus in New York City. And now Mayor Adams says, I have nowhere to put them. We now have 159 shelters or immigration places, converted hotels. Most of our hotels are full of illegal immigrants. No one's seen anything like this in our lifetime. Now we have the president of the Border Patrol uh, quitting. And now you have the ICE spoke, uh, the, uh, the director of ICE. He's going to be calling it quits as well. The, uh, the deputy director, too. They're all quitting. They know that there's no, yeah. there's nothing they can do. It's so frustrating. They're ending their careers. Yeah, it's sad that, you know, that leadership uh, is leaving. But maybe Raul Ortiz and others, they'll be able to now articulate the problems that they see. But you still have some good men and women in the uh, in ICE and Border Patrol. They need to have the right type of leadership there because they're despondent, they're depressed, they're dejected because they're being told that you can't really do your job that you're supposed to do. You're just supposed to be the welcome mat for people that are coming here illegally and unconstitutional. Constitutionally uh, implementing the ideological agenda of the Biden administration. This is, you know, if you want to talk about a threat to democracy, if you want to talk about a threat to our constitutional republic, allowing millions of people to come into this country illegally and also trying to give them the ability to be able to vote in our elections, that's a threat to democracy. So we'll see what happens. So it looks like uh, there's a group that landed in Sacramento, California. And Gavin Newsom mm-hmm. thinks it's Ron DeSantis. He tweeted out, Ron DeSantis, you small, pathetic man. This isn't Martha's Vineyard kidnapping charges. Read the following. They're going to try to file kidnapping charges against Ron DeSantis. So it's okay to just drop people into Florida if it indeed him. But it's not okay for Florida to drop yeah. them into California. Yeah, and I thought that California, New York City, sure. I, I thought they were sanctuary uh, states and sanctuary cities, and this is what they wanted. But all of a sudden, what they are realizing is that we would rather put them in red states. We would rather put them in red communities, like what uh, the mayor there in New York City wants to do, pushing them out into the suburban areas like Westchester County to destabilize those uh, communities in those areas. So, again, the hypocrisy is utterly laughable. Uh, Colonel West with us now. So Senator Tim Scott called out by not being a real black person 
when he was running for Senate that he's the exception to the rule in America is inherently racist. When on The View, that's where the, that's where the accusations flew. Here's a little of that interview, cut one. One of the things I think about, and one of the reasons why I'm on the show, is because of the comments that were made, frankly, on this show, that the only way for a young African-American kid to be successful in this country is to be the exception and not the rule. That is a dangerous, offensive, disgusting message to send to our young people today, that the only way to succeed is by being the exception. I will tell you that if my life is the exception, uh, I can't imagine... So he and he went on. They just don't buy it. Sonny Hostin said that no. she is an exception. Well, what do you think, Colonel West? Are you an exception, one of the rare exceptions out of all the success you had and have? No, I, I'm, a, I'm an American. And, you know, I came from a family that, you know, today is the 79th anniversary of D-Day. My dad was a corporal in World War II. But yet he challenged his son at the age of 15 to be the first officer in the family. And now his grandson is a lieutenant colonel and about to take command of an artillery battalion. So what what I have is that I was brought up in an America and with a family that wanted me to be a victor and not a victim, that believed in the equality of opportunity in this country and that, that it affords to everyone and not the equality of outcomes. And so, uh, you know, I kind of applaud Senator Scott for going on to The View, but I don't know why you expose yourself to people that really have their head down in the sand and they have completely bought into the soft bigotry of low expectations so they're telling generations of young black kids you suck you're never going to get any better the only thing that can happen is we give you a little bit uh because this country is inherently racist against you but really we're part of the party that has been the uh perpetuation of systemic racism all the way back going to, you know, the 1860s. Yeah, uh, there is. And there's, there's a, you know, reading, I know you study Booker D. Washington, but he always yeah. said, it's gotta, he says, there's no doubt about it. It's harder for a black uh, child to make it uh, in this country than a white child, but it makes them stronger at the hurdles that they scale in order to have the success that they want. And that's what life is about. I don't care the color of your skin or the gender, uh, the yeah. gender you are. I mean, it's all about nothing's fair. You got to deal with it. Oh, wow, yeah. I, had to, I had to do it harder than you. Oh, okay, got it. So overcome it. There's things that are going to be easier for you. So that's what you have to deal with. It does no good to say you're right. The odds are stacked against you. You'll never achieve anything. Guess what? You won't. And you'll have somebody to blame and your life will suck. Here's more from Tim Scott Cut for. I think protecting our, our kids from the indoctrination that's happening in our culture today is an important part of the equation. I'd also go a step further and say, listen, from the, the radical left is getting involved corp- from a corporate perspective on a number of issues to include, which was the Georgia state law that was supposedly the Jim Crow 2.0. And the fact of the matter is that when we look at the results of the last election, what we saw was not Jim Crow 2.0. What we saw was an actual record-breaking number of African-Americans not only voting, but also succeeding at the ballot box. No one wants to talk about that. Joe Biden said uh, Jim Crow 2.0, fueling the flame of yeah. segregation that doesn't doesn't exist. Yeah, and, you know, it's amazing to me that no one realized that Jim Crow 1.0 came from the Democrat Party. And <laughs> Jim Crow 2.0 continues to come from the Democrat Party. So that comes back to us understanding and learning our history. Look, Brian, my dad had a, a simple maxim that he taught me. He said, you know, find out what the standard is and exceed it. 
And that's how we should all live our lives, not saying find out what the standard says I can't. And, you know, I know we've got a Supreme Court case coming out about affirmative action. You know, we should not be telling kids what they can't accomplish. We should be telling our kids what they can't accomplish. And it goes back to the motto of the United States Army when I came in. It was be all you can be. And that really is the essence of what it is about being American, black, white, Hispanic, whatever. And so here I am talking with the great Brian Kilmeade. Uh, I'm a black man that was born in a blacks-only hospital in 1961. That's the beauty of America, and that's what we should be accentuating. I would, I would think so. Uh, so I want you to hear what Governor Chris Sununu said uh, about the chances of Donald Trump winning as he's leading in the nomination. And, and by the way, he's on the record saying that Trump would not get the nomination. Cut eight. The math has shown Donald Trump has no chance of winning in November of 24. He wouldn't even win Georgia. If you're a Republican that can't win Georgia of November 24, you have no shot. And And do you feel that way? Well, look, it's so early. I don't know why Chris Sununu is saying that, and I think that he's trying to say things like that to boast his appeal uh, to the to the to the leftists that are out there trying to make ourselves uh, appealing to them. But we should not do that. We should have people that stand in firm contrast to the progressive socialist leftist policies, and we should be talking about they're the real threats to the future of this country as far as our economic security, border security, energy security, domestic security, foreign policy, and the future of our children when you look at the things that they're doing to them with this uh, gender right. mutilation. So I wish that we had Republican leaders that were not out there trying to cut down each other, but really focus on who the uh, the opposition is. So there's a, a move, and it just happened. Fort Bragg is no longer Fort Bragg. It's going to be Fort Liberty because Bragg, I yeah. guess, was a Confederate officer. Here's Mike Waltz, cut 43. This is manufactured by activists, by politicians, and by the media. I've served for 27 years. Not once did I hear any of my Green Berets complain about it, say they were offended, say they weren't going to stay in the Army because of Fort Bragg or Fort Benning or what have you. And I've served with soldiers from every single background, color, creed, religion. They're proud of where they served saying that I was a Fort Bragg soldier, I was part of the Special Forces or the Airborne, or I went through basic training at Fort Benning. It's one more bit of evidence that this Pentagon is focused on all the wrong things rather than focused on a warrior spirit and war fighting and defending this great nation and making our enemies deathly afraid of starting any wars. They established in 1918 in North Carolina. Uh, It was originally named the George Braxton Bragg. Uh, military mm-hmm. base. Uh, he served in the Confederate Army during the 19th century. You're a black man. Is this and this? You take no joy in this. No, I take no joy in this name-changing fiasco, and we have misplaced priorities coming out of this administration. Look, I went to Airborne and Jump Master School at Fort Benning. I did not care about, you know, Benning being associated with the Civil War. I, I was proud to have uh, walked the ground at Fort Benning and, and jumped out of airplanes there and got my training there. I served at Fort Bragg, and that's the home of the United States uh, Army Airborne and Special Operations Forces. And it's a name that is known worldwide with Airborne and Special 
Special Operations Forces. I commanded a battalion at Fort Hood, Texas, which is now Fort Cavazos. And so this episode of changing names, this is insidious. And if you're going to change the name of Fort Bragg, to, you know, why Fort Liberty? Why not uh, Fort Ridgeway, named after Matthew Ridgeway, who was a combat commander of the 82nd Airborne Division, or Fort Gavin, James Gavin, Jumping Jim Gavin, as they called him. So these people are just sick, and this is why China is laughing at us. They are doing close flybys of our aircraft, and they are doing uh, close uh, encounters with our naval vessels because the Biden administration is compromised, and they're worried about name changing. All right, uh, Colonel Alan West, thanks so much. It was great. My pleasure. Go get him, Brian. <laughs> yes, I will. Uh, he is the uh, union executive director of the American Constitutional Rights Union, I should say. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Your calls at one 408 7669 next. Brian Kilmeade Show. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at briankilmeadeshow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmeade coming up. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. So I think that there's a lot of voters who just aren't going to vote for him, who don't like Biden, and who realize the country's going in the wrong direction, but they're not going to go there. And I think that in 2016, the voters that disliked both Trump and Hillary, they sided with Trump. I think in 2020 and 24, it'll be they dislike both, but they would probably default to Biden. That was Governor DeSantis yesterday with us and why he's running. He just doesn't think he thinks people have just turned off Trump, even though they were really tight during the four years. They both want the same job. He does not want to wait. Everyone's upset uh, by that in the Trump camp because of that. That's why they're going after him viciously and because they think he's a legitimate threat. Trump's winning by about 20, 30 points is certainly not over yet. At least I don't think it is. Well, the thing that has to happen is for Trump to get sidelined. Number one reason would be these investigations that are taking place. And there is a sense that the investigations are just relentless. And now we have Mar-a-Lago. It looks like the grand jury seems ready to recommend that they indict him. And that's why his team went down yesterday, I think it was, to meet with Jack Smith, who's who's marshalling the investigation. Well, one flipped his attorney, doing all these millions of interviews, trying to get him on January 6th and Mar-a-Lago. Here's Jim Jordan. On the relentless quest to stop Trump some other way besides the ballot box. Cut 22. The bottom line is this never ends. You go back to 2016 when they used a dossier that they knew was garbage to go spy on President Trump's campaign. Then they got 2018, you got the whole Mueller investigation in that election. 2020, they suppress the uh, the Hunter Biden laptop story. And then, of course, in 2022, 91 days before the election, they raid President Trump's home. And now here we are heading into the presidential election and you got Joe Biden's Justice Department going after their opponent, the guy leading in every single poll. And that's after Alvin Bragg has already indicted President Trump. And this Fannie, this Fannie Willis in, in Georgia is probably going to do the same thing. So it never ends their quest to go after President Trump. So they say so now you have the Mar-a-Lago situation. They look into a flood. And is that one of the reasons they had to move some of the documents? What were these documents? Was he actually talking about the Iranian attack plan that General Milley was encouraging him to implement? Doesn't sound like General Milley. 
That is what's overheard, evidently on a tape from Mark Meadows, who's doing a book, CNN doing a wall-to-wall, got Jim Trusty on, the great attorney for President Trump. And all he's trying to say is we got this big story. He's like, no, you have a leak of an investigation. Where are the leaks on the Joe Biden investigation? My goodness. What are in the documents by the Corvette? What were in the documents at the Penn Center? The Biden Center at the University of Pennsylvania. What were in the documents, the thousands of documents that pulled the University of Delaware? Maybe nothing. No, by the way, they're all classified. This is, they never should have left the building. But they're not in, don't tell me you're cooperating. You just didn't stop them from going to the Delaware. You didn't stop them from going to the lawyer's office of Massachusetts. You didn't stop them from going to Chinatown and getting some. You didn't stop them from going to the Penn Center. But besides that, uh, Trump out there competing against a talented field He is the prohibitive favorite. I think the investigation is the only thing that could stop him. Here's Newt Gingrich, 23. Indicting Donald Trump at a moment when we know more and more and more about just how corrupt the Bidens are uh, and and the Biden team is, uh, is simply going to increase the anger of the millions of Americans who already believe that the Durham report's right, that the FBI was corrupted, that the intelligence community was corrupted, that the current attorney general is corrupt, certainly that the current secretary of state, uh, who is getting a lot of money from the University of Pennsylvania, probably from the Chinese, but we don't know because it's all secret. Uh, I mean, all this is going to do is just strengthen the notion that uh, to be against to be against Donald Trump in the Republican primary is to help the left. I can't argue with it. Uh, and that's exactly what happened with Alvin Bragg. It's not a hypothetical. We saw what happened. Now, he'll be back in court in February in the middle of the primary season. They're totally affecting the election. So, listen, uh, keep it here. Brian Kilmeade Show. If you want one of my books, Sam Houston, The Alamo Avengers, Thomas Jefferson, The Tripoli Pirates, George Washington, Secret Six, Sam Houston, The Alamo Avengers, as I mentioned, President Freedom Fighter, as I know, go to BrianKilmeade.com. I can sign and send for Father's Day. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, from 40th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. Brian Kilmeade Show, so glad you're here. Uh, Jason Chaffetz, Fox News contributor, former White House Oversight Committee chairperson, uh, uh, chairman, and The Puppeteers is his new book, The People Who Control the People Who Control America. Doug Collins at the bottom of the hour. Then we'll do a simulcast with Barney and Company. I don't know. Stuart is not in. Ashley's in. So before we get to uh, the new author, Jason Chaffetz, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We will support our allies and partners as they defend themselves against coercion and bullying. We do not seek conflict or confrontation. But we will not flinch in the face of bullying or coercion. Oh, China, American CEOs sell us out. Is Biden next? Our number one enemy in this administration can't even label them a enemy. They're not a competitor. They're an enemy. We talk about the stakes, the provocations, and why strength and deterrence is our only pathway to keeping the superpower status. Number two. And then when this committee started taking action this year, what did we find out? We found that there were banks that actually the Bidens were getting money from an LLC, from a foreign dignitary, (laughs) sending the money. Yep, uh, that is Kevin McCarthy. The FBI delivers documents that doesn't uh, that doesn't leave the document, but doesn't leave the documents, which shows the words of a longtime FBI source allegedly accusing our current commander in chief of bribery. We'll discuss where this actually is at. 
number one. One of the things I, I think about, and one of the reasons why I'm on the show, is because of the comments that were made, frankly, on this show, that the only way for a young African-American kid to be successful in this country is to be the exception and not the rule. That is a dangerous, offensive, disgusting message. Yeah, it is. 2024, Tim Scott's scuffle of the view. Pence throws his hat in the ring, and DeSantis and Sununu seem to agree Trump can't win the general. They think Joe can get the job done, but can't do the job. He's too old, and he's shot. Congressman Jason Chaffetz, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. So, I mean, what you saw from that New York Times story is the guy doesn't do anything till 10, and he's done it for the latest, and they don't bother him on the weekends. So is, they, is that a guy that wants to do this job anymore or should? The, the question is should because he doesn't have the vigor that, that Donald Trump has. And, and he, it's not so much his age. It's his cognitive capability and his – look, President G is on the, on the march. He's striking deals in, in, in uh, Africa. He's doing all over the world doing these types. Joe Biden's taking a nap. Right. He's not doing much. And he also praises the wrong guys. He's praising Erdogan. He's praising Lula. He's pra- he's making inroads with Maduro of Venezuela. These are enemies who have si- sided with China. So he has Lula to the White House while he makes a speech saying we got to get off the dollar and we got to bring up this new organization called BRIC and make it bigger and better. South Africa, the same thing. India is our ally. Really? They're single-handedly backstopping all the sanctions that the that Russia is supposedly suffering with right now. Yeah, it's embarrassing. The White House, uh, the Department of Defense, tries to get a call with the Chinese counterparts. They don't even take the call. It's because they don't respect us. They don't fear us. If they feared us, then guess what? They would be taking that call. And our allies, they don't. They don't. They don't respect the United States. Right. I just want to talk about China for a second. Uh, yesterday, uh, Mike Turner came out and he just talked about to Neil Cavuto. Uh, how bad this is getting? Cut 26. This shows that, that China knows no bounds. International waters, international airspace, even our own sovereignty uh, has been at risk. And as you were noting, that this being the anniversary of the Tiananmen massacre of, of, of that square, we thought from that time that there might be an ability for China uh, through trade to become closer to the United States. They're, they're going farther. What this administration needs to do is stand up. Uh, to China. They need to stand up in, in, in every way, certainly strengthen our military presence, but they need to call them out. And when the president let that balloon go all the way across the United States before he took action, he gave them a permissive environment. Uh, same thing with police stations where they continue to operate without any real action from the United States in response. This permissiveness from the administration has got to stop. And I just, uh, I mean, why is Secretary Austin trying to be a diplomat? Just come out and say this. You know, we, we, we take that personal. You are harassing our fighter jets. You are cutting off our destroyers. You are you are raging. You are breaching the perimeter of a military base in Alaska. What more do you need to know to know that this this country is all over us? It's because the priorities of the Biden Harris administration are not that. The, the priorities are being woke and making sure that everybody's using the right bathroom and has you know that white supremacy is our number one. They say the number one threat to our country is white supremacy. There's white supremacy out there that needs to be dealt with, no doubt about it. But is it the number one threat to the United States as opposed to China and everything that's going on? Cyber attacks, uh, stealing our intellectual property, the provocations in the South China Sea, the Pratley, uh, the, the Spratly Islands, Danger Islands, what they've done in the buildup in the South China Sea, 
the the incursions there in the mm-hmm. Taiwan Strait. Come on, this this is a real threat. Right. Uh, I want to talk with you too about the FBI before we really get into your book. And I just find it fascinating. It turns out this credible source, longtime FBI source, walked in three years ago and walked into uh, what it became a whistleblower. And the FBI took down hit their account, this guy's account, of what he said was the wrongful action the FBI was taking. It was called the 1023. And what he saw, what he witnessed, well, reportedly was Joe Biden taking $5 million worth of bribes uh, and in exchange for what we don't know. So we, first we were told the form didn't exist, and it did exist, and you can't come, then you can't see it, then you can only see it in a skiff. Then, you can, then he says, no, we're going to still file you to contempt. He goes, I'll come to you with it, and they're still fine, could file in contempt charges. So this 1023 needs to be investigated. It could be Jason Chaffetz. This happened. Well, Jason, I, I, I know you, but i got to investigate to make sure what you're saying is true. The FBI has had this thing for years, has done nothing. We found out they handed it off to Delaware, the U.S. attorney in Delaware, and we can't see anything happening. Well, I think the part of the story that not enough people are talking about is why do we even know that this 1023 document exists? Because, because there are. And the reason is because a whistleblower finally went to Senator Grassley and said, Senator, you are the he is like the preeminent expert on oversight in, in the United States Senate. And Senator, this document is out here. And guess what? They're not doing anything with it. That's the problem. That's why there is such specificity in knowing that this document is here is because somebody is blowing the whistle saying the FBI is not pursuing this and never did pursue it. So that's an important point because the Washington Post is reporting today that they, William Barr's Justice Department looked at it and said it wasn't worth pursuing. William Barr's people close to William Barr's told me that they did pursue it. To the point where they gave it to the U.S. attorney in Delaware to run, to, it down. to run it down. And the bigger story is what is going on in Delaware as it relates to all the Biden negotiations. That is a district. That is a judge appointed by Donald Trump. And look, look you had John Ratcliffe. I saw him on Fox News earlier today, and he was talking about this very point. He said, are you kidding me? The standard by which they pursued things about Donald Trump was fiction, things that were made up. And so here you have a credible source, which our government has paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to this this source because he's so credible, saying that this really did happen. Right. And there's no evidence that anything was pursued. And and that's what oversight is all about. That's why you got to go pursue it. Here's what's crazy and what drives the average person nuts. I consider myself one of them. Jamie Raskin and James Comer go look at the same document. You heard what we just said. Here's Jamie Raskin, Democrat, Cut 16. I didn't pick up anything from the FBI that somehow that tip motivated the Delaware investigation or became some kind of, you know, central component in it. No. But in any event, if that were true, as the chairman is saying, all the more reason that that document should not be out there if it's part of an ongoing investigation. Okay, so let me break this down for you. The first part is true. I totally agree with Raskin. There is no evidence that the FBI actually pursued it. That is James Comer's point. They're actually saying the same thing. Comer's saying, you got this credible thing. Why aren't you pursuing it? And Raskin's saying, well, the FBI, we didn't do anything with it. That is true. That's that's the worry. That's the heart of the worry. If there is an active investigation that we shouldn't be looking at, but that's not what the FBI said. The FBI came out and didn't say that. Ray said that the document 
He ultimately fessed up and said it was there. Now Comer's looked at it, and the point that Speaker McCarthy is making is everybody on the committee should be able to see that. And if they do that, then I don't think they're going to hold them in contempt. I would still hold them in contempt. I think that's You would. The, yeah. I think Even that's, though you, so as chairman, if you got a look at that document and you close the door and you got, okay, I got my conclusion, you'd still hold them in contempt because you want it released to everybody. It's a non-classified yeah. document. So what's the problem? So what's the problem? It's unclassified. I think all of the American people should have the ability to see it. So one thing that you find when you see Joe Biden wander around the stage, fall on a different stage, uh, not make any sense in many of his addresses, not do any interviews, one-on-ones, or press conferences, you wonder, does he even want the job? And if, if, he, if that is the man in charge, how are things actually getting done? Good or bad, how are they getting done? That is all part of... Jason Chavitz's book called The Puppeteers, The People Who Control the People Who Control America. That inside story next. And by the way, number one on Amazon right now. So pick it up. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. All right, here we go. Jason Chaffetz back in studio with us, Fox News contributor, former oversight chair. Uh, the puppeteer's name of his book, The People Control, The People Control America. So if you look at the president's schedule, he only works from 10 to 4 and doesn't work weekends. And he looks out of it most of the time. You, that doesn't surprise you. And that's the whole premise of this book. I think the puppeteers love it. I think he's the safe choice between him and Kamala Harris. And there are trillions of dollars in a lot of operatives that know that they can manipulate them. And look, I think this is a bigger, as I did the research for a couple years to get this thing done, what you find is the apparatus is in place to run government in perpetuity no matter who is in the White House, no matter who is in Congress. who makes the decisions? You can run it, but who's making the decisions? Well, and we go out and name names and, and follow the dollars. Susan Rice played a pivotal role in doing this. She just left on May 26th. Brian Deese. Think about it. You had Larry Kudlow in with the Trump administration. He's got a deep financial background. Brian Deese, he was a BlackRock employee. D- Brian, and focus on environmental. Environmental. He's a climate activist. Yeah. And he was in charge of the Economic Council. You have people like Randy Weingarten who've really upped their game in terms of the teachers' union. they got $300 million to play with. And the sleepy one that I found is the Democratic Treasurers Association. I thought, what? But I came across this. They control more than a trillion dollars in assets and funds. Do you know that BlackRock has 97.5% of the S&P 500s? BlackRock owns at least 5% of of 97.5 of those companies. Wow. They are the ones that are pushing ESG and DEI and all of these things that we talk about. These are the types of puppeteers that are out there pulling the strings, making things happen. And it scares you. It's just very scary, but you get done, and you're like, oh, my gosh. There are ways to fight back against that, and we illuminate that as well. Uh, you know, first I was alerted to the State Department because I remember talking to Mike Pompeo and Condoleezza Rice just off the line, and they were just saying how tough it is because they just want to do their jobs. They don't want to hear from you. Yeah. And they look at you as somebody that's only going to be here for a short period of time. We'll go. That's why when Tillerson went in and kind of got to the place, nobody was really upset. I don't think on the other side of the aisle because they're doing their own agenda. I mean, we should have a State Department that's in Central America, that's in South America, in Africa, pushing back against this Belt and Road program and let them know this is extortion. This is the path they're bringing you down. But we get all about climate change 
and gay activism and transgender drag shows. And I wish I was exaggerating. No, these, these are just the examples that they came out this week. But that's why I wrote The Puppeteers. These are the people who control and push forward the agenda. D- Democrats know if they could – some of these departments and agencies, more than 95% of the donations that they politically make, they go to Democrats. Some agencies, it's 100%. Right. And so a Donald Trump or a Republican comes along, they know they can outlast you. Well, unbelievable. So there's a story in Utah – that they have banned the Bible in elementary schools and middle schools due to vulgarity, kind of a touche to Ron DeSantis because these some of these books in these grammar school libraries are totally inappropriate. Yeah, I think this is wrong. This is up in Davis County, um, it, it, northern part of Utah. I think it's the wrong decision. I, I don't understand it. My goodness. Of all the things out there, that's what they're working on? Come on, folks. I mean, it's unbelievable uh, that this is one of the things that they're uh, that they'd be doing. But when you talk about what, what you were also talking about is the problem with Donald Trump is nobody was pulling the strings. Not even his staff was pulling the strings. <laughs> and he would change depending on sometimes who the last person was talking to him. So did that drive the establishment more crazy than just the fact that some of his decisions were policies it wouldn't support? So in this puppeteer's book, I talk about you have to clear out the political class. The, gov- the president has thousands of political appointees, and he didn't blow them out fast enough. I talked to one cabinet secretary, and he said the hard part is I got in there and I had to play with Hillary Clinton's team on the field. That, and how do you do that unless you blow out the – you know, you got to get your own people in there. You have to starve the beast. You can't keep funding it the money. And they got trillions of dollars from this administration to play with. Yeah, to me, uh, if you look at the person – that seemed to have be in charge. Susan Rice was the one who seemed to be in charge. Mm-hmm. And I get so many people who say, you know, Barack Obama's really running things because he was tight with, Sus- tight with uh, Susan Rice. Yeah. And people would point to that all the time. And the fact is, though, you don't see Biden and Obama talking much. Do you get the sense you work there? Do you, were they that close? Oh, no. I, I, the few meetings, believe me, it was just a few. Uh, Joe Biden walked into one meeting 30 minutes late and the scowl that, that, that uh, President Obama gave him, uh, didn't introduce him, didn't let him speak, didn't didn't recognize him, and he was mad. President Obama was mad, and I can understand why. And Happy Joe was just smiling, being you know a little goofy, but that's the way it went down. But I still think the Obama machine has implemented its people. Brian Deese, who's the Economic Council. He was with Obama before that, but he got a promotion in the Biden White House. So, you know, these types of people, they have incestuous ties, and uh, it's all part of a bigger machine. And then you have other people who's pulling the strings. Who's pulling the, the strings of the Defense Department or Commerce? Well, it, again, if you look at the money that's appropriated here, you've got a lot of, of big corporate you know, defense industry people who have it well ingrained. They don't seem to, to, to care. The environmental side is the scariest part with the Inflation Reduction Act, mm-hmm. as we high, highlighted. In the Which was much more expensive fund. than they said. Yes. $370 billion in a slush fund that's run by John Podesta. Who's John Podesta? He's Clinton's for, former chief of staff. He ran the Clinton campaign. And he's the one whose email was hacked in August yes. that let everything out. $370 billion at his disposal. So they couldn't pass the Green New Deal. But these puppeteers, they go and they get this sort of money. That has more influence. You could take 
dozens of states, and they don't even come close to the type of money that they got in the Inflation Reduction Act. It was such a scam. To well, call yeah, that. it is, and it's a big windmill project, and then you have uh, the walk back of it with the debt ceiling debate that wasn't really a walk back, and you have a whole bunch of people disenchanted. Money, uh, baby, money. So, Jason, your book, The Forward is from? The Forward is from who? Me. Oh, you wrote your own phone? <laughs> I wrote oh, my own you, phone. Your dedication, I should say. Yes. Well, we got a lot of good people there, but I, I quoted uh, Abraham Lincoln. So he gets a percentage. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. As, soon right. as, he, as soon as we chat about it, we'll have Fantastic. It. Uh, listen, pick up his book. It's called The Puppeteers, The People Who Control the People Who Control America. Perfect for Father's Day. Your call's next. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. This particular document was dated in 2020, but there are notes in the document that date back to 2017. We believe that this uh, human source uh, initially informed the FBI of the bribery screen back in 2017. So my question to the FBI was, what exactly have you done with this accusation? Because the FBI admitted that this is a highly credible, in fact, one of their most highly credible human sources. They admitted that they had paid this source a substantial amount of money, and he had been a part of the Bureau for 13 years, dating back to the Obama administration. And their answer to me, Sean, was, well, it's now a part of an ongoing investigation. Yeah, but how many years do you need to investigate? Four years. And what they're talking about, a credible witness came forward uh, that the FBI had used before. They called him credible. They took down what his complaint was, that is bribery with the Bidens, taking money from another country, we believe Ukraine. When William Barr saw it, he passed it over to the district attorney in uh, uh, Weiss, and now we know there's nothing happening. And that's why a whistleblower came forward and said, check out this 1023 that we filled out. There's nothing happening here. You guys should look into it. And that's where we got where we got right now. With me right now is Doug Collins, ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee, uh, former and author of The Clock and the Calendar. Uh, Doug, welcome back. Your response to why Jamie Raskin could have a totally different opinion of what James, uh, uh, James Comer also saw of the same document. Well, he's gone into political slave mode. I mean, it's pretty easy. Jamie's, I mean, he's been doing this now for uh, last few years. I've known him for a while, but he's just in political slave mode because there's really no explaining this to the Biden. And just as you were playing that clip from Comer, something hit me, uh, Brian, and it's something that really needs to be fleshed out here. 2017, this is the Trump administration. Jeff Sessions was the attorney general during this early part. Then, of course, we had the interim with Whitaker, and then we had Bill Barr. But why – I mean, this is also 2017, if you remember. I'm going to tie this all together. Comer – I mean, James Comer will be looking into this, but you had Comey, you had Strzok, McCabe. You had the deal with uh, the, the early attacks on the White House by the FBI, you know, with Comey going in, uh, with all they were going on. It's just like they just ignore this stuff. And then when it comes back on them, they, they start screaming an active investigation. Well, there's not – I mean, I, this is just – this is why the, the FBI and its top leadership have, have failed America and why Chris Ray needs to go. But, Doug, I think it's worse. The Washington Post said they ran it down. There was nothing to it because they got <laughs> no, no – nothing came out of it. That's not true. 
And that's why I got a source close to William Barr saying absolutely not true. The big story is why are these cases uh, in hyperspace in Delaware? Well, it, it, they, they pushed them aside, and we've seen nothing. I mean, you talk about what is amazing to me, how many leaks and stuff you're hearing about the Trump investigation, how many leaks and stuff you were hearing about Hunter Biden investigation, and then you, you, but you hear nothing about some of these other investigations on Biden himself that are just simply out there that are supposedly existing, but nothing is happening. I mean, it's just, Brian, this, I mean, I, I, I can't scream this loud enough. And, and holding him in contempt, holding Chris Ray in contempt is fine. But it will go nowhere because Merrick Garland is nothing but has become just a protective agent for the Biden administration, and it's the DOJ that has to prosecute the contempt. I'm really serious. The only way that you're really going to get the FBI's attention is through either the appropriations process or the press finally wakes up, and the liberal press has to understand this. The Washington that if they're not, you know, they may be on the what they believe the right side of this now because they're not involved. But this kind of action will turn. And it's just, you know, when you're getting a cabal at the top of the FBI and DOJ that's willing to pursue political means, all bets are off the table. So yesterday I spoke to Governor Ron DeSantis and about Donald Trump's ability to win if he does get the nomination. And part of the he doesn't think he can. And that's part of the reason why he's running. Cut 10. So I think that they want a vehicle to go forward. Um, but I think he's got some issues with a state like Georgia, for example. Um, you know, when they ran the uh, Herschel Walker race, the Democrats in the runoff, they were just running ads in the Atlanta suburbs showing Trump endorsing Walker. The Democrats were running that because they knew that that would cause some of those suburban voters uh, to vote to vote for their candidates. So your reaction? Well, the last part's not true. I mean, it, the, look, they was, they was all, they've been, you know, candidates had with Trump in the picture and the candidates they had on the Walker race. But they, they were you and I have discussed this at, at length. There were other issues in the Walker race that were far outweighing the endorsement of Donald Trump or anything else. So that's I mean, OK, but were I, they running? But were they running ads with was were they running ads saying that Walker is like Trump? No, no, I never saw one like Trump. I mean, they said, you know, he was in, I think there was a couple ads that was endorsed, but the Democrats and and. The Democrat ad process down here was a lot on Walker's own words and a lot of Walker's, uh, you know, own stuff. So, again, I mean, that's stretching the truth a great deal there. Look, Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump and others on the Republican Party have been run with their faces in Democrat ads now for the last six months. So, I mean, if if that is the, the key to saying you're not electable, then Ron DeSantis is the face of Democrat ads in some areas saying you don't want, you know, people like this in Florida. So, uh, again— Ron has to do something right now that, you know, he's got a good campaign team around him. So, you know, it looks like he's got a lot of money, but he's having to face the fact that he's having to differentiate himself from Donald Trump. And at the same point, not alienate those, those Trump voters, because at this point in time, barring anything else, Donald Trump has a lead that is maintained. And, you know, and, and I've always said it's going to shrink. It's, it, those will always tighten up, but he's got to prove to the Republican voters that he can be electable as well. And there's people actually saying, you know, what's the difference in Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump in the sense that their, you know, policies and everything else have been so uh, alike. So it's, you know, it's an interesting argument. I think he'll just have to continue to push it. Yeah. Uh, he trumps up pretty substantially right now, but now Tim Scott has got a little bit of momentum, I think, off the wise decision to go and engage uh, the, the anchors yes. at the view. Here's a little of the exchange cut one. 
One of the things I think about, and one of the reasons why I'm on the show, is because of the comments that were made, frankly, on this show, that the only way for a young African-American kid to be successful in this country is to be the exception and not the rule. That is a dangerous, offensive, disgusting message to send to our young people today, that the only way to succeed is by being the exception. I will tell you that if my life is the exception, uh, I can't imagine. Your thought. Uh, he hit it perfectly. I mean, that that show needs to be shut down. I mean, can you imagine if me, you, and several other, con- you know, people got on our conservatives, you know, people who are conservative got on a show and just trashed and lied about liberals all day long, that they would let that show last for <laughs> as many years as it has? I mean, it, it is. I mean, I when I, I I've been on my radio show and other things. When I've actually bring, they were almost guest hosts because you could play the clips of their of their crazy comments almost every day, and nobody calls them on it. So Tim Scott, good for you. Glad you went on there. You know, but I have a question. This exception thing. It is amazing to me. I think the real answer here is what the the ladies on the View want is you to be subservient to the Democratic point of view that government is your only answer, not your self worth. And for anybody who actually like Tim Scott or any of the other successful minority-owned business or anything, you didn't do that. It was because it was because somehow the government did it for you. It goes back to that old Obama statement. He said, you didn't build that business. The government did. No, they have a very government-centric, socialistic view that you have to stay in a certain box. And I, I can't I – again, I do not understand how that show continues to be on air. It's incredible. Uh, it's I, I, but it's way to the left, and it creates news because it's so crazy – Oh, yeah. uh, but I, I think an intelligent conversation on race is fantastic. You know, if there's yeah. barriers out there, you're in Georgia, you know the history, yeah. but you also yeah. know that I, when I go through Georgia, I don't see a more integrated state in the country. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, Brian. You come to Atlanta. Atlanta is 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 often referred to. It has one of the largest growing uh, African American middle class. It has one of the uh, one of the higher uh, of upper income of all uh, minority demographics. Yeah, it's just. I mean, you got to overcome. Are there places and people that are still stupid and racist? Yes, but they're also in New York. They're in Boston. They're in Chicago. They're everywhere else. And and what you got to do is you just got to keep pushing and saying, look, we don't we don't view this. It, you know, it's race. We got to give everybody the opportunity, and if you want to take that opportunity, you're going to succeed. So here's what uh, Congressman Byron Donalds, another up and coming star in the Republican Party, said: Cut 15. The Democrats have been trying to offer Black America a myriad of things through the years. They offer say they offer things like, "Hey, we're going to protect your right to vote," but when Black people go vote, there's no issue with them voting. They say we're going to make sure you have a future in education but they keep kids trapped in the same schools. They say, we're going to help you get a better economy, but they don't know economic policy. It actually hurts poor people in our country who are trying to get up the economic ladder. They say they want to have safe streets, but then the streets in our urban areas are riddled with crime. So now is the next thing. What about reparations? Let's say maybe that's the new thing we have to promise to black America. The issue we're having in America is that progressive policies have failed black America time and time and time again. Final thought. Yeah, I mean, I, he is perfectly dead on that. So that should be on every, you know, ringing out from endorsement from a, a Republican, can or conservative, anywhere you want. It's the truth. They don't want to deal with the truth. He's dead on. And as soon as you get to be a front runner, you are immediately labeled a racist. <laughs> exactly right. It's exactly um, right. Congressman Doug Collins, a, a sober, clear-thinking guy. I appreciate it, Doug. Thank you. All right, Brian. Y'all take care. See you later. So, Simulcast on Varney and Company. Just a moment, listen, and then we'll squeeze in some calls. Brian Kilmeade Show.
Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade. I'm Matt Moments going to do a simulcast with Varney and Company. Ashley Webster is sitting in. And uh, we're talking about race, no doubt about it. We've been ta- talking about it this hour. But I think in a more positive way, I mean, much better than we, we, we see the riots that took place a couple of years ago. We see the scandal of Black Lives Matter. People get defensive on that. They shouldn't. Just a scandalous uh, group running an organization where people gave money hoping for the best and got the worst. Uh, total waste. You have $100 million, and I think they got $9 million left, and nobody's paying taxes. Amazing. No one benefited. So let's listen. It is 10.51 on the East Coast. That means it is time for Brian Kilmeade, the hardest working man in in the uh, TV, you name it, entertainment world. I think that's the... uh, And radio. Yes, sorry, you sent me the lead in and I didn't get it right. (laughs) Uh, Listen, uh, 2024 presidential candidate Tim Scott sat down with the hosts of The View yesterday and he went after their messaging on race. Listen to this. I'll get your comment. I'm the exception, right? You're the exception. Maybe even Miss Whoopi Goldberg is the exception. One of the reasons why I'm on the show is because of the comments that were made, frankly, on this show, that the only way for a young African-American kid to be successful in this country is to be the exception and not the rule. That is a dangerous, offensive, disgusting message to send to our young people today. Wow, putting it on the line there, Tim Scott. What do you think, Brian? Well, what they're trying to say is... uh... That host is a very successful lawyer, uh, anchor, uh, host, and she says, we're the exception. Mm-hmm. Senator Tim Scott, you're the exception because there hasn't been many uh, black uh, senators, Republican senators, though, or Democratic senators for that part. He said, no, are you kidding me? Uh, well, I'm not the exception. I'm an example. I'm an example of what it takes to be successful in America. Everybody needs a little luck to get these great jobs that we have. We understand that. But telling people that they're not going to be successful because America is racist does nothing but destroy a generation of of Americans. And that's his point. Nobody could have had the ads. Very few people could have the odds more stacked against him than Tim Scott. I've done spent a day with him. I saw where he grew up. I saw the small house in which him and his brother grew up in with his grandparents, basically basically a single parent situation. And I saw what he's what he is now. And now he's running for president of the United States. Why don't we hold that up as an example? Why do you want to marginalize that? Yeah. It makes no sense. Yeah, it doesn't play into the left's narrative. That's the problem. But I want to move on to this story, Brian. ESPN host Stephen A. Smith wants a better Democrat candidate for 2024. He says, eh, it shouldn't be Biden. Listen to this. We need a new president in 2024. Our responsibilities that are far, far, far more extensive than, let's say, the typical nine to five that somebody in their 80s may not need to be doing. I think the presidency is one of them. What does it say about our country where we're looking at an 80 year old who will be 82 if he wins the presidency again in 2024? Yo, and it's not like we're looking at Benjamin Franklin. That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, it's not like we're looking at this rare (laughs) mind. My question, is the tide turning, Brian? Is the tide turning against Biden a little bit here? I mean, why wouldn't it? We all know the debt ceiling negotiations you guys covered extensively on Fox Business. Even we did heavily on Fox News. We know that he had nothing to do with that. We know that his stance was, I want to deal with this at all, even though he's had 30, 40 years of record, on record, of dealing with debt ceiling. In fact, Barack Obama sent him out to deal with the Republicans when it comes to what it would take to raise the debt ceiling. 
So he took a terrible position. He put his people's back against the wall. Then when it came to negotiating, he wasn't there. And when it came to rolling up your sleeves, he went on vacation. And then he let it get to the point where it backed up against the G7, overwhelming it. We watch him fall on his face in the Air Force Force Academy. And then we get this story that he stops working at 4, gets up at 10, and doesn't work weekends. He's not capable of doing the job. And I'll tell you, where are the people around him to keep him on his feet? Any 80-year-old, you have to wonder. He broke his foot. Evidently, I read the medical report. He's got trouble moving it. So that makes it easier to slip. You slip at this age, it's trouble. And what about it? what it looks like symbolism for our nation is supposed to be vigorous taking on China. It's an opportunity for Republicans, I'll tell you that. And they have a rich field expanding by two since then. And Stephen A. Smith speaks his mind, always. He, he does. Very quickly, I'm going to change the subject on you. You've got 30 seconds. Word of this agreement now between the PGA and uh, the Live Tour. That's a major development and I think would take care of a whole bunch of lawsuits and some bad feelings. Stunning. I'm doing this show when it crossed. I have not dove into it. But if you yeah. told me that they were going to have any agreement within five years, I would say 50-50 right. at best, let alone within a year. And then they have the European Tour, too. Incredible. We watched how well the Live guys did on the PGA Tour. You know the game hasn't dropped. They did a lot of innovative things to help the player and help the fan. And I think they can learn from each other. I want to dive into this and make sure the PGA hasn't sold his soul for the Saudi Wealth Fund. But I love the competition. Yeah, me too. I have to leave it there. Brian, terrific stuff as always. Appreciate it. Okay, thank Thank you, you, Ashley. All right, one The other story we didn't get to is the most predictable scandal in the history of scandals. Ready? When sports betting became huge within the last five years, I said to myself, we did not want players hanging out in Las Vegas. We didn't want a franchise. We would suspended Mickey Mantle and not Joe DiMaggio and Willie Mays because they appeared as greeters at casinos. And so much have we changed our view of betting. It is now on every scoreboard show, on every network, big and small, these betters and the point spreads. It's a business. You might love it. I get it. Uh, it's To me, it's the easy, most easy addiction to understand, especially if you're an athlete, used to competing, you passed your prime, or you don't reach the level you want to. How do you get back in the game? Well, I got some money. Maybe some money I can't afford to lose. I'm going to go out there, get the best information. I'm going to compete. And when I watch that game, I actually have something on the line. To me, it's the most understandable addiction. And it's the easiest way to get involved in scandal. Story yesterday broke of the cornerback, uh, six-round pick from the Indianapolis Colts. Had to open up a sports book under another name, may have bet on his own team. There were three other NFL players looking at indefinite suspensions for doing the same thing. You're a cornerback. You want a big payday. All of a sudden, you can't catch that wide receiver. He ends up open. The game thrown. You make a zillion dollars. And now we have to wonder every time we watch a game, who's in the tank? That's how big this is. This is just the beginning. Every sport, just the beginning. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for being here. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. 1-866-408-7669. Uh, the number to call to be on it. Mike Huckabee is going to be with us at the bottom of the hour. Jane Hampton Cook. 
former White House Communications Director, Presidential Historian, will be with us, too. She's got a new book out called War of Lies, where George Washington was the target of propaganda was the crime. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We will support our allies and partners as they defend themselves against coercion and bullying. We do not seek conflict or confrontation, but we will not flinch in the face of bullying or coercion. Uh, China, American CEOs sell us out. Is Biden next? Our number one enemy, and they are an enemy, and we can't even label them as much. We talk about the stakes, provocations, and why strength and deterrent is the only pathway forward. Number two. And then when this committee started taking action this year, what did we find out? We found that there were banks that actually the Bidens were getting money from an LLC, from a foreign dignitary, (laughs) sending the money. Kevin McCarthy, FBI delivers documents but doesn't leave the document, which shows the words of a longtime FBI source allegedly accusing our current commander in chief of bribery and more. They just have a Washington Post report that said this is wrapped up, that William Barr saw nothing there. That is proven to be flat out false. I have firsthand knowledge of that. The investigation was punted to Delaware, where it sits. That's the issue. Number one. One of the things I think about, and one of the reasons why I'm on the show, is because of the comments that were made, frankly, on this show, that the only way for a young African-American kid to be successful in this country is to be the exception and not the rule. That is a dangerous, offensive, disgusting message. Of course it is, Tim Scott, and I give you so much credit to go to The View, where, you know, if you got out, talked, and if they didn't have your research done, it would have looked looked bad, but it looked great. Uh, And that's where we'll start, 2024. Donald Trump, if in all the polls, up by 20, 30 points. Everybody knows him. Everybody knows that he likes Tim Scott. Everybody knows they work together on tax reform. Everybody knows they work together on police reform, criminal justice reform. Uh, They were tight. Anytime there was a controversial racial issue, he'd be in there, Tim Scott, talking to people. Uh, talking to the president, he goes, this president is not racist. Sometimes he can be racially insensitive. And now he's out there taking our race. He wishes he could just be the senator from South Carolina. But when you try to put him down, like Larry Elder got put down as he started making some gains in the recall election for Governor Newsom, they said, well, you know, he's uh, racist. The things he's saying don't, don't, don't take into account minority uh, minorities and what their struggle is. Excuse me. He's black and he did struggle his whole life. He's self-made success story. They made him the white face of black supremacy. And I laughed, but it actually stuck. And they're trying to do the same thing to, Rick, uh, to Tim Scott. He had to find a way to get in the news because it's being overwhelmed by Governor DeSantis and Donald Trump. And this is it. This is really impressive. He was on with Sean after uh, The View and talked about what was accomplished last night. Cut five. Can you imagine uh, an extreme liberal a elitist telling me how to be a black man in America when she's a white lady <laughs> who dresses up in blackface? I can't believe the hypocrisy that comes out of that show sometimes. It is the height of hypocrisy to suggest that I'm the exception when, in fact, their policy positions as the radical left creates a, st- a, st- a, sorry, a rule that simply says that in order for us to be successful, you have to go to a failing school. You have to stay in your place. You can't go up as high as you possibly can the ladder. You have to actually stay at the bottom. Literally, they're suggesting that the rule that they want keeps poor kids in failing schools, keeps minorities at the bottom of the ladder, and then they remove the rungs of the ladder to climb. And that's his message last night. That's what he has to be, relentless, 
optimistic and let everybody know that if you're going to take him on, he might come off like a nice guy, but he's tough. Now, yesterday we had Governor DeSantis on and made a lot of news, uh, one of which he came back to Nikki Haley and said, Nikki Haley said, hey, you're so tough on, on Disney, but you took $50,000 from him. Yeah. Doesn't mean I'm going to kowtow to him. That was his retort. And then when it came to Donald Trump, he doesn't think Donald Trump can win. He says that, you know, after what's been going on over the last few years, the way he governed, doesn't think he can win. Now, one thing I differ from Karl Rove on and I differ from Governor Sununu, Donald Trump is not not vulnerable for not draining the swamp. He is not vulnerable for not finishing the wall because we all know that was not either one of them was not within his power or fault. The fact to identify it, working to do it and got a lot done within four years, I think that's pretty significant. But I think now we're going to see if anyone's going to challenge. And it'll first be Ron DeSantis. Now, we'll see if uh, Tim Scott gets into double figures after this and if he can keep it going, do a lot of TV. He just did TV here. But now we have Ron DeSantis, who's going to be coming out with his big media game plan. He's got $82.5 million that was just transferred from a state campaign account into his PAC, his super PAC. DeSantis is ready to send some huge money, uh, taking on Biden, but most of all, taking on Trump. This week, a super PAC never backed down. will begin a $5 million ad buy through July 4th designed to uh, burnish DeSantis's conservative credentials. So people are going to be backing up on image spots. And we'll see if people realize that because he wasn't answering, it doesn't mean he didn't have answers. He was being governor and he wasn't a candidate yet. And talked to a lot of people that liked DeSantis, thought that was a big mistake. I don't. I look at it, it's June. I mean, we don't have a debate till August. Iowa's not till January. Followed by Nevada and South Carolina and New Hampshire in between. That's a long time. No one's going to remember the Twitter rollout. They might bring it up casually as somebody, as an example of somebody who's off to a slow start. Uh, meanwhile, on the Democratic side, Elon Musk hosted a Twitter event for RFK Jr. Uh, also, Cornell West, the professor, uh, says he is going to be running as a third-party candidate. Quote, I'm running for the truth and justice and the presidential candidate for the People's Party to reintroduce America to the best of itself, fighting to end poverty, make incarceration... Uh, ending wars, uh, excuse me, mass incarceration, ending wars, and ecological collapse. All right, we'll see. I don't know. If he takes 1% or 2%, that could be devastating. So that that is important. I don't want to minimize it. But Cornell West doesn't have a big constituency. I kind of noticed that. That's pretty clear. Meanwhile, in the background, President Biden will be meeting with somebody that if he backed out would probably be running for president. Bill, you know, billionaire Illinois Governor uh, Pritzker. If they'll be putting together a multi-million dollar, they think, big fundraiser because he doesn't do any events. He doesn't really do fundraisers. He doesn't really leave the White House unless he's going on vacation. So that's the problem with Joe Biden, especially when it leaks out of his schedule. It's just embarrassing. It's embarrassing to think that someone can't hustle their way to success. You know, you could try to be successful or die trying. To me, I would rather die trying. And to me, if you wake up at 10 o'clock, if you get up at 10 o'clock, make yourself available and at the latest, you close the lid at four, you're not trying. And that's the issue. So about Tim Scott, Trey Gowdy, his good friend, weighed in on what the experience of The View will do for him. Cut 14. 
There's no one uh, that I've ever known in my life that captures the pain, the promise, and the potential of this country better than Tim Scott. Uh, the notion that, that, that he doesn't talk about race, I mean, whoever says that's never around him. The guy was stopped by law enforcement more and more in one year than I've been stopped in my life. He was stopped from entering the Capitol while he had a U.S. Senate pin on. He, he ain't but one of one. He's not hard to figure out who he is. So he, he is... He is. He captures the American story. There is pain, but there has been progress. And I think Tim's point is, look, let's talk about them in equal measures. Yeah, uh, don't run. Say, oh, well, it's not a big deal. But here's why it's going to come up again. It's going to help Tim Scott because he, I think, I'm not sure when it ends on the calendar, maybe September affirmative action is going to be front and center with the Supreme Court. And I think they're punting it. And as soon as they do that, that means you're part of colleges and jobs. You don't have to have a certain amount of each ethnic group or male or woman. They say we're in a post-racial situation. And on many people like Sonny Houston, like every Democrat, will say, we absolutely are not. We're a racist country. And Tim Scott's going to be sitting there saying we're not, and the Supreme Court is right. And by the way, look at my biography. If you have a problem with it, let me know. Patricia, listening on Long Island on WABC. Hey, Patricia. Yeah, hi. Um, I couldn't wait to talk to you about this. Uh, first of all, Tim Scott was a breath of fresh air today. I could not believe the wonderful things he was saying. Um, he said education is the magic. He's so right. I was a school teacher and a school principal for many, many years. And if we had that attitude with our students, that you're the exception and not the rule, what would have happened to all these kids we were teaching? We let everyone believe that they have it within themselves to be anything they want to be. And it's true. Because even in my role as a principal, I saw the lower uh, kids who they always say the schools aren't good for them the schools aren't good for them they don't they're in a bad school let me tell you that some of these bad schools got more resources than any other school they had free lunch free breakfast free tutoring all of these advantages and i would see little joey coming in with a peanut butter sandwich and a banana with that his hard-working father was you know giving him then i would see some of these you know quote-unquote lower uh, children who they say the school is so bad, having vegetables and fruits and a big uh, tray of all different nice foods and everything else. And so when they say that these schools don't have the advantages as the other schools, that is not true. Gotcha. Thank I you have- so much, Patricia. Great point. I appreciate your passion, your support. When we come back, somebody else with great passion, Jane Hampton Cook. Uh, she made herself a great historian. New book out, War of Lies, when George Washington was the target of propaganda and propaganda was the crime. 245 years ago. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. It's my privilege to bring in Jane Hampton Cook, one of the brightest people you'll meet, former White, former White House communications staffer, presidential historian, uh, award-winning at that. Uh, her latest book is War of Lies, When George Washington Was the Target of Propaganda Was the Crime, and, and Propaganda Was the Crime. Jane, what led you to this portion of the Washington story? 
Well, I discovered that there were letters counterfeited in George Washington's name, and Washington never knew who was behind it, and I wondered if I could figure it out. And so it's, I began my own detective work, and I started looking at who Washington thought was a suspect and other suspects, and I found some documentation that makes me conclude that there was one person in particular who'd done it. So that's what led me to it, curiosity. What were the letters, and what do they say? Well, the letters were um, a group of letters that were published in uh, they were published in 1777 and 78, but they were written supposedly in 1776, and they were to George Washington's family members, to his wife, to his stepson, to his uh, cousin, and they said things like, "I don't really believe in independence. I hope nobody else does." Um, I'm a, you know, and they painted Washington as this tormented hypocrite who really loved his king, and um, so they were damaging to Washington's reputation as the commander-in-chief of the Continental Army, but they had so many authentic details about his family members that people thought they were real. So it was it was just this, um, and they were, you know, Washington was getting letters from his friends. Have you seen these letters? Did you write these? And, you know, he was, he was really tormented by them when he was at uh, Valley Forge. We're worried about AI doing that now. Uh, back yes. then, they were out to discredit him, and things were going badly when these letters started emerging, losing every battle running for their lives, holing up in Valley Forge? Yeah, they were. So Washington was not on a winning streak when these letters come out. And he um, he's having to regroup his army at Valley Forge, retrain them on, under Baron Van Steuben. And then he fights, of course, the, the Battle of Monmouth as, after that summer, um, in the summer after Valley Forge, and scores a victory or at least a tie that shows, hey, I, I'm in this fight to win it. And, uh, you know, so there were – I think the war within sometimes gets overlooked. You know, there was an attempt to replace Washington as commander-in-chief. It was called the Conway Cabal, uh, led by General Horatio Gates. So not everybody who led uh, under Washington had pure motives. You know, there, there were some glory-seeking, selfish motives, jealousy, really, of Washington that, that um, this book really delves into. I understand that. And what did uh... – what what did you learn? Who was behind it? Well, I don't want to give you the final person. I'll give you the four suspects. It's um, Horatio Gates is a suspect. General Charles Lee is a suspect. Uh, John Ch- Thomas Jefferson's cousin, John Randolph, is a suspect, and that's who Washington thought was behind it. And then James Rivington, the newspaper publisher, is a suspect because he was publishing those letters in his New York newspaper. Wow. Jane, this is uh, pretty cool. Do you feel like you're walking through time travel? Yeah, and what's cool is that one of those suspects left behind some uh, other writings and letters, and that's kind of how I figured it out, because I see a pattern of evidence in one of those gentlemen's writings that points to similar ideas that are in those counterfeit letters. Charles Lee, close, I thought, with General Washington and father of General Lee, correct? Robert E. Lee? No, different Lee family. He didn't have any children, this particular Charles Lee. But, but there, the Lee family was big, so it could have been a cousin. But, yeah, so Charles Lee was the second in command to Washington. And what's interesting about him is that he um, he really pretended to go along. He had been in the British military as an officer and then came over before the Revolution, started writing pamphlets, and, you know, um, seems like he was all on the American side. But he, he um, we know that he 
committed treason in one significant way. When he was a POW, after he was a Continental General, he was captured by the British, and we know that there was a battle plan that he wrote and gave to the British, and that battle plan was not discovered until the 1800s, and George Washington never knew that Lee had written this battle plan for the British. But what I will say is that all of those gentlemen, George Washington was really good at character assessment, and he um, figured out that there was something amiss, you know, in, with, with these gentlemen and took care of them in different ways. And so um, I'll leave it at that. But that's Washington figured it out, um, e even though he may not have directly figured it out, mm -hmm. he took care of, of the people around him that were not loyal. You to know, him. it's amazing. We love Washington, but it was amazing. The rest of the world knew about Washington. He was listed, yeah. I think, a few years ago as the number one antagonist of the British the most yeah. formidable opponent they've ever taken on. And they've taken on some pretty big names. Yeah. Well, and that's what I looked at London newspapers to see what fake news was being written about Washington in London when he was general. And they were trying to accuse his wife of really being a loyalist and um, and not really being loyal to the, to Washington. And there were some scandalous things written about George Washington because the Brits just really didn't think that it was possible that they could be beaten. And um, so there was fake news back then. And that's what I discovered is that, you know, newspapers were being used, you know, for fake news purposes sometimes. And so uh, the human heart does not change. Even though technology has changed, the human heart does not change. So Jane Hampton Cook, our guest, and uh, she wrote The War of Lies when George Washington was the target and propaganda was the crime. Jane, they also tried to use uh, fakes when it came to currency. As the colonies started printing their own currency to make it worthless, uh, word is they were trying to flood the zone with fake fake dollars. What we now know is, yeah, Abigail Adams complained about how she she had lost a lot of money. She had taken counterfeit money and didn't realize it. Um, one of Washington's guards in the summer of 1776 passed a counterfeit bill and he was arrested. And then it turned out that he was actually planted there to assassinate Washington. So um, that capture led to his hanging um, as, as committing treason. But yeah, counterfeit money was a way they were trying to trick the mm. Americans and devalue, you know, their currency. July 4th is coming up. Flag day on the 4th. What a great time to pick up this great uh, slice of history. Congratulations, Jane. Thanks so much, Brian. All right, go grab it. All right, when we come back, we have more with, uh, we're going to have more with Mike Huckabee. We'll go inside the 2024 race. Also, the threat of China and the FBI investigation that just is not taking place. Why? If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. They have repeatedly said, yeah. yeah, we're doing this just to try to attack President Biden and his poll numbers. Comer has said it repeatedly uh, in interviews, including on Fox. Other times he said that he's acknowledged they've lost the informants and key witnesses to this to this matter. We heard from Senator Grassley the other day complaining about FBI Director Ray and, and saying that you know, admitting that he had actually seen the document uh, that he was looking for and that it didn't matter whether or not it showed any wrongdoing or not. That wasn't the point. It's all about the process. We should note, though, that actually Kevin McCarthy got in trouble post Benghazi yes. for acknowledging that, yes, hey, look at the toll that it took on Hillary Clinton's poll numbers. So this is this is not a new play for Republicans. But it's not a new play, but it's an actual investigation. Where people like to know what exactly happened. So Benghazi, I want to know. But now I have to know. With Joe Biden, every single investigation goes to die. But don't say that William Barr killed it and they investigated it. That is flat out not true. I know firsthand. 
With me right now is Governor Mike Huckabee. Governor, you know this stuff better than I do, but the way the, the, this whole case works, you come in, you're the whistleblower, you're, an, uh, you're a reportedly a, ref, a respected agent for the FBI, not agent, but informant for the FBI. You say, I see this bribery thing going on. I'd like to fill out a form and, and declare it and swear, swear to oath that it's true. And nothing happened. William Barr saw that. This is serious. He kicked it over to the Delaware investigator, and nothing happened. It's been four years. Does that sound familiar to you? It sounds very familiar, but I do want to correct one thing you said. You said, I know more about it than you. Brian, there is no subject on earth that I know more about than you do. You are the ultimate authority of all things. Wow. So just (laughs) to correct you on that. But here's what's so troubling about this. Congress has a constitutional duty and responsibility for oversight. Nobody elected the FBI to anything. And in our form of government, elections are the highest level of power. So when people get elected, whether it's to president or whether it's to Congress, they are considered the people's representatives because they were placed there by the people. When you have an executive branch agency, in this case the FBI, and they are stonewalling and refusing to accept their uh, really constitutional uh, duty to turn over documents as required, then we really do have a crisis of government. It's not just a crisis of this one case. This is where uh, it's like the child telling the parent, I'm not going to do it. You can't make me do it. And therefore, you just go pound sand. That's why this is not just about this one case. This is the larger issue of whether a government bureaucracy can tell elected officials, just basically uh, forget about it. We don't have to respond to you. Yes, they do. And this is one of those cases where I hope it bubbles all the way to the Supreme Court. I hope it gets settled by people who have actually read the Constitution, something I know you have done. And that's why i I just feel people need to be outraged about it. True. And now we have uh, simultaneously every little lead was followed. A major investigation leaked to CNN about anything going on during the Trump years. And even today, as the president's dealing with the Georgia investigation and the Mar-a-Lago investigation and the ongoing challenges, which are a joke in New York, I can honestly say I'm an expert there. This is a total farce. They don't prosecute anyone here. So this is what Jim Jordan said about the ongoing investigation where his attorneys yesterday met with Jack Smith himself, who's doing uh, the investigation of the Mar-a-Lago papers. Cut 22. 22. The bottom line is this never ends. You go back to 2016 when they used a dossier that they knew was garbage to go spy on President Trump's campaign. Then they got 2018. You got the whole Mueller investigation in that election. 2020, they suppress the uh, the Hunter Biden laptop story. And then, of course, in 2022, 91 days before the election, they raid President Trump's home. And now here we are heading into the presidential election. And you got Joe Biden's Justice Department going after their opponent, the guy leading in every single poll. And that's after Alvin Bragg has already indicted President Trump. And this Fannie, this Fannie Willis in, in Georgia is probably going to do the same thing. So it never ends their quest to go after President Trump. We've never seen anything like this. We have the president's got to sit there in court in, in February. He might have to do it two more times while running for president. Can you wrap your head around that, Governor Huckabee? It's impossible to wrap my head around it. And here's what I think is the worst of it all. It's not that the, the Biden administration and the Biden crime family wants to cover up everything that they've done. It's that the media is 
a part of the cover-up. They absolutely ignore stories that in any other era of this country's history, at least one enterprising journalist would have said, this could be my ticket to a Pulitzer. Yeah. These folks don't care. They just don't care. They are willing to do whatever it takes to protect the powers that are in office, even to the point of ignoring potential criminal activity. And we've never had that before. We used to have a press that would go after Democrats and Republicans alike uh, because they were seeking truth. And whether it was uh, uh, whether a president was lying about uh, war and the stats from it or whether it was a president who was covering up political misdeeds, we have a press now that just says, yeah, we don't see a thing. We can't see a thing going on here. We're fine. Let's just keep it going because we hate Donald Trump so much that we'll keep Joe Biden and let him get millions of dollars from foreign governments and uh, be bribed. It just doesn't matter. That's really disturbing. I know your family's close. Huckabee's very close with the Trumps. I understand that. But just put your analyst hat on for a second. It looks like Ron DeSantis is going to start spending some of his $82 million. Tim Scott starts next week, starts spending his money. Uh, Nikki Haley just coming off a of town hall. Um, do you believe that this race will tighten as we get closer to the debates and then closer to Iowa? Or do you look, to, look for Donald Trump to hold on to this 30-point lead? I think there's a certain level of his lead that's not going to change. Uh, He has a very solid uh, fanatical support of people who believe, number one, that he did a good job as president. Number two, they understand his personality sometimes can be abrasive and even obnoxious, but they appreciate what he got done. And number three, their attitude in a lot of ways is that if we let the left and the press take Donald Trump down, then it doesn't matter who the Republicans nominate. They're going to do the same thing to him. And the person they do it to next may not be as tough and willing to fight back as hard as Donald Trump. So there's a lot at stake, and I do think there will be one other person who will emerge from this now growing and crowded field. But we're a long way from determining who that could be. There's some great candidates. Let's be honest. There's some terrific people running for president. I don't want to dismiss any of them as not having a chance. I think that's always a mistake. Uh, anybody could catch fire uh, and and beat Donald Trump. But as of now, it's going to be Donald Trump versus somebody yet to be determined. So here's Governor Chris Sununu. He will not run for president. But listen, why? Cut eight. The math has shown Donald Trump has no chance of winning in November of 24. He wouldn't even win Georgia. If you're a Republican that can't win Georgia of November 24, you have no shot. And he's proven that. So. And not only has he proven it, but the candidates he gets behind in a good conservative state like Georgia lose the race. His messaging doesn't translate. It does well with a hardcore 30, 35 percent base, but he loses everybody beyond there. And no one is undecided about the former president. So that's his opinion. It's not rare that Ron DeSantis told me yesterday he does not think the president can win a general. And obviously they agree on a lot of things, but they're going to fight it out now. You know what it's like to go against your friend John McCain. Uh, you kind of were a bit of an antagonist to uh, Mitt Romney. And you also were the, were the outsider that made a real difference and stormed from the back. So, Governor, where do you agree with uh, Chris Nunu, if at all? Well, I disagree that when he says that there's no way Donald Trump can win. That was the same thing people said about him in 2016, including me. And I was pretty wrong about that. 
Um, Donald Trump got more votes than anyone who has ever run for president in the history of the country in 2020, and he lost, which is still a head-scratcher for many of us. But the fact that he got that many votes, more than any of the Bushes, more than Reagan, more than uh, Nixon, more than any Republican, more than any president, more than Obama, it shows that he still has votes that support him. And, yes, there have been some races in the states that uh, Trump backed people who didn't win. But you can't always blame that on Trump unless you always say that everybody who does win with his endorsement won because he was on their side. So we're, we're very early in this race, Brian. I think people are making a huge mistake to say, here's the person who can't win or here's the person who will win. Neither of those statements, I think, are qualified statements at this point. Uh, Mike Pence will get in. He's going to run for president. He fired the paperwork. And Chris Christie will announce today. What do they bring to the race? Mike Pence is a delightfully good man, and I like him a lot. He has a tough thing because, on one hand, if he gets too much where he trashes Donald Trump, uh, he offends the Trump supporters. If he uh, doesn't, then he doesn't gain those who are looking for someone to go beat up Trump. So that's a tough spot for him. Uh, Chris Christie, I'm not sure what his lane is. Uh, basically, he said he just wants to go after Trump. It seems more uh, a campaign of retribution and a campaign of revenge than it does a campaign of vision and because he has a specific message for America. He's just angry at Donald Trump, and he wants to go get him. And, you know, I'm just not sure that's a good motivation to launch a presidential campaign. Right. And when you see uh, Trump go after the former press secretary, Kayleigh McEnany, what are your thoughts? Because I thought uh, your daughter and Kayleigh McEnany were as good as he gets. No offense, Dana and Ari were fantastic, too. But were you surprised at that? Would you do you support going after Kayleigh? No, I don't. I thought it was a, 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 just an inexplicable move. And I told Kayleigh that. Kaylee's first job, by the way, was working for me at Fox several years ago when she was still a student and an intern. Uh, so I have a very close relationship with her. Love her. Love her family. She's terrific. She served the president uh, very well. And I absolutely could not understand why President Trump would go after her. If anything, he ought to say thank you for being such a faithful part of my administration, which is Absolutely true on, on uh, behalf of Kaylee. It's just the whole thing is, too, is that you have to be an analyst. So you have to call things like you see them. If DeSantis gives a good speech, if Tim Scott gives it, has a great appearance on The View, it doesn't mean you dislike somebody else, Governor, right? It, well, absolutely. And I think we've got to be to the point we recognize we're playing for the Republican team. Now, right now, we got about 12 people all want to be quarterback. Somebody's going to end up with the position. But all of us need to rally around whoever it is that gets the nod. And that's one reason I try never to get into a situation where I trash a Republican and say, this person is unfit to be president, because if he gets the nomination, then I got to go tell everybody that he'll be the best president since Abraham Lincoln. And the obvious question to me then is, which time are you lying when you said he wasn't fit or when he's going to be the second coming of Abraham Lincoln? You can't have it both ways. I'll tell you what, I would I'm going to go for the best person to lead the country. I don't even care about the party of these days. Uh, I just want someone who wants to put the country first and they can do the job. Are you convinced that that uh, Joe Biden can get through another four years? No, I'm not sure he can get through this four years. I, I'm not sure he'll make it to Friday. I mean, I keep watching and uh, his inability to keep a sentence together 
uh, worries me even more than the lack of sure-footedness when he's walking and stumbling. But I'm more concerned about the mental stumbles than I am the physical ones. So the physical ones are disconcerting and painful to watch, quite frankly. I, I don't want to see that in anyone. Uh, but what worries me more is not remembering that he went to Ireland or having no clue as to where he's supposed to stand or walk off the stage when anyone's done a presidential event knows that every single bit of that is choreographed with tape on the floor that points with arrows exactly where to go, what to do. <laughs> and he still doesn't seem to be able to follow that. Right. I, by the way, in my last days, if I'm present, you please make sure I get arrows. I need arrows on the floor. <laughs> all right. Because I don't want to look confused up there. Uh, Governor. Well, Brian, let me tell you something. If you could become president, it's not the arrows on the floor you'll need to worry about. It's the arrows <laughs> in your back that you'll need to worry about. But not from Mike Huckabee. Oh, we have not each other's you. back. Not for me. All right, Governor. Always great to talk to you. Thanks so much. You bet. Thanks. All right. one 866 Back up to wrap up the hour. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. By the way, when we get back, huge news in golf I never thought I'd say. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Just finishing up this hour. Don't forget, One Nation coming up in just five days. We got Fox and Friends tomorrow. And at Father's Day, you want any of my, uh, my history books, briankilmeade.com. Do it. Tell me what you want me to write, and I'll be able to get it out and get it there by Father's Day. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Invest in premium American whiskey as it ages. The older it gets, the better it gets. And the more valuable it gets. Go to caskdeeds.com. That's caskdeeds.com to learn more. Paid for by Spirits Capital Corporation. D-Day, 79 years today. They changed the course of World War II and the world. Here's a look at some of the details as we mark that day in history. 160,000 Allied troops landed in Normandy, France on June 6th. 1944, 73,000 from the U.S., 83,000 from Britain and Canada. Their forces from several other countries also involved to take on uh, and fight with Charles de Gaulle against the Nazis. He was the resistance. They faced about 50,000 German troops, and they would prevail. The sea landing started at 6.30 in the morning, uh, just before dawn, targeting five coded names. They have beaches called Oma, Utah, Gold, Sword, and Juno. The operational included action inland, including overnight parachute landings and strategic German sites, 11,000 Allied aircraft, 4,414 uh, Allies, uh, and 2,501 Americans, and more than 5,000. 2,501 Americans were killed, almost 4,500 Allied troops, more than 5,000 were wounded. Pretty amazing. Next, the PGA Tour has agreed to merge with the Saudi-backed Live Golf League and the European Tour. They'll see competitors squash the pending litigations. It's all over. The two entities signed an agreement that would combine the PGA and Live Tour's commercial businesses and rights to a new yet-to-be-named for-profit company. The Live Back Golf is uh, backed by a Saudi wealth fund and uh, an entity controlled by the Saudi Crown Prince. A lot of people are upset by that, with the PGA Tour in the last year being non-profit. Uh, meanwhile, this looks pretty good for Greg Norman, although I don't see his name anywhere. He better be involved. Quote, there is much work to do to get the framework of agreement to a definitive agreement. But one thing is obvious through this transformational agreement and with the PIF collaboration investment and immeasurable strength of the PGA history, legacy and pro-competitive model. 
not only mentioned, not only remains intact, but is supercharged for the future. Not bad. Next, President Biden hosted the Kansas City Chiefs at the White House. Here's how it sounded. A little audio from Coach Reed. I'll tell you what, we're fired up to be here as a football team. President Biden, your staff, uh, we, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts for inviting us to the White House. I mean, Everybody good? We're really fired up. Yeah, there you go. Uh, that was his staff. The one thing that's no longer controversial when I guess there's a Democratic president in the White House, everyone was like a roller coaster ride. Who's going to show up and not show up when it comes to the president? Remember, Tom Brady not showing up for Obama necessarily. Meanwhile, what about the UFOs? Is it true that we have some? We have some of their cra- their aircraft? Let's listen to an Air Force veteran talk about what he knows. He's a military whistleblower, Cut 41. David Grush. When you say crash retrieval, what do you mean? Uh, these are retrieving non-human origin uh, technical vehicles. You know, call it spacecraft, if you will. Uh, it's probably not the right parlance, but uh, no kidding, non-human, exotic origin. Not bad. We've seen UFOs and we've recovered them. Besides that, nothing really happened big today. That according to one whistleblower. I'll see if I can find another. Hold the, hold the microphone. Brian Kilmeade. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.